0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. So, um, sorry for that little miscue on the uh, getting the offering started. I, I was supposed to Pray for the offering, so that everyone would know. Oh, we're going to take the offering now. Um, so, sorry for any miscues this morning, or uh, that have occurred, or that will continue to occur. I do this uh, very not frequently, about once every year, a couple of years at most. So, appreciate y'all hanging with me. I'm encouraged though to look around and see, you know, mostly mostly family members that I'm aware of. But either way, whether uh, family. Been here for a long time since the beginning of some, beginning of time. Some of us, uh, um, but, or whether you're here for the first time this morning or or just recently joined us, um, we'll jump in here now. So last week, David suggested that it would be great to begin addresses to one another after the model of Paul. Pretty sure I remember him saying that. Kind of like he does a greeting and then a blessing right there afterwards. Um, You know, has Christ as the central theme. So uh, I thought I'd give that a shot. So here it goes. Scott Colbreth, an elder of Grace Community Church. Greetings to you who have been in the body since the beginning. Some of you since the beginning of time, it seems. Uh, To all family members who have joined along the way and welcome to those who are visiting and perhaps looking for a church family. We all indeed have come together this morning as a family in Christ to worship him in song, in prayer, and in proclaiming his word, uh, his gospel, which is our life. Even though we are indeed family in Christ, we walked here this morning likely kind of scattered and fractured to some degree. Our oneness of mind and spirit has likely waned in reality due to our walk in this world this past week. This morning, however, may the one sovereign God, speaking his one truth to, to us, touch our minds and our spirits with our very thoughts, hurts, concerns, dreams, rebellions, confusions and despondencies, and lift our eyes to our head, Jesus, that we may walk out of here refreshed with his one mind radiating the light of his one spirit through his one body, the church, of which we are members together and in which we are truly knit together as a family in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, speaking of Mr. Potato Head, <laughs> I want to ask you a question. And if you have something to write on, I'd encourage you to uh, get it out and make a quick list. Otherwise, keep track of a mental list here. What type of five? are so things should you be doing routinely you know that could be like on a daily basis, weekly or even a yearly basis routinely to maintain your Christianity or if you're not sure you're a believer yet what do you think you need to do to become a Christian I said five but maybe a few more a few less, it's all right. just take a mental list right now, what are the things you need to be doing now this may need to be homework, but I want you to think it a little bit and see if you can identify the source of that thought. In other words, I need to pray. Well, why is that? Where do you get that? You know, Why do you need to pray? And whether you do it this morning or not as we, as we talk, take some time in your quiet time this week to kind of make that list. Say, these are the things I think I need to do as a Christian or to become a Christian. And here's why I think that. Here's where I get that notion, right? Now, thinking back to the Mr. Potato Head-like syncretism explained to us so well these past couple of weeks, if you honestly assess your sources, you might find that at least some are based in traditions. Probably good traditions, but traditions nonetheless. Maybe a better question would be if I didn't do X, do you think that you would be more or less acceptable to God? In other words, do you hope to persuade God to respond to you and your efforts or do you find that you can't help but to do these things because of your response to him? If you're honest with yourself, maybe it's a mix of the two, right? And a deeper question yet, especially if you've been a believer for some time, do you ever struggle with confidence, assurance, strength of your faith? And I'm sure that there are never any external factors, right, that affect your faith negatively. It's always rock and roll, baby, right? And the last lingering question, if you do indeed find that you struggle with your faith from internal and external factors leading to lack of confidence in your faith, why does that happen? Why, Why was something so great that we just sung about, that we shared a meal, we remembered what's done for us, why do we struggle? Well, if the growth of your faith and spiritual walk if you don't know what I'm talking about here, and your spiritual walk has been nice and linear, then we're probably done, and you can go home, all right? But if, if this is not what your faith looks like, nice, you know, even trend upwards, um, stick around, and let's explore what Paul is talking about in this section of Colossians that we're in today, chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. We're going to read from the SV. Um, if you would, please stand to honor God and his word. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship with angels, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Thank you. So, one major caveat as we dig in here, Brad, Ricky, and David have simply brought it. They've knocked the teaching out of the park these last weeks here at Colossians. All I'm saying is imagine you're the one standing up here today after these last three weeks. All right? That's all I'm saying. Caveat aside. All right? Just try to manage your expectations. Okay, so what I'm going to attempt to do this morning are two things. Pretty simple. We're just going to work through the text. I'm going to try to provide a little bit of cultural and historical context. Um, And then second, review the gospel cycle. It was the best medicine for the Colossians. It has been the best medicine for all believers for all time. And that includes us this morning. It's It's just a good mess. Okay, so I am bel- led to believe that Paul's letter is, addre- is addressing perhaps the first wave of regression or waning of the Colossian believers' faith. Kind of like a coach would in a tough moment in a game. He's in a team huddle. Get this page ready. All right. He's in a team huddle. Hey, remember who you are, don't listen to those fair weather fans. Don't let your confidence falter. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Don't forget the basics. Trust your foundation. All right, get back out there. All right? So I really don't think Paul has any concern whatsoever that the believers will lose the game or the race, no matter what. Paul knows that what God has planted. He will reap. Those that God has qualified cannot be disqualified by man. Look at these two verses here from chapter 1 and chapter 2 here at Colossians. God qualified us to share in in the inheritance. And then he says, let no one disqualify you. Qualification is in God's hands. Man cannot disqualify what God has qualified, okay? However, Paul knows it is God's desire as well as the Colossians' desire to grow in their faith. So I think it's only natural that he doesn't hold back any punches in helping them to identify and respond correctly to the things around them that can stunt their growth. And though here in verses 16 through 23... He's mainly criticizing these elemental forces. He does so in the context of the entire letter, which so beautifully outlines the gospel message, which is the primary weapon against the forces that would seek to damage the faith of every believer. By the way, Paul also knows that this true gospel message will also divide. It will quickly identify those in their midst who are not believers. Some of those non-believers will become believers through this message. Some will self-select out of the group because of the message. And some will have to be removed from the group by the elders because they will not relent from heresy within their midst. This weapon does all of those things. Okay, so jumping into verse 16 here. Therefore, stop right there. We've got to go back when we see that word, right? Though this connecting word, therefore, could mean, well, since chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 15, therefore, and certainly it does mean because of everything that came before, now we're going to talk about this, we'll jump back just three verses to get some context to verse 13. And you... Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. I wonder if what Paul is implying is that when someone does pass judgment on you, don't let it affect your faith. Don't believe a word they say. So why would someone's judgment be invalid? Perhaps Someone who is even traditionally in a place of authority, or maybe even respected highly in a culture, why should their evaluation not mean something? Maybe they have a good point. Maybe I've actually missed something. And maybe God isn't quite accepting of me like I thought maybe He was. Well, look no further than what we just read verses 13 through 15. If God has forgiven sin, all wrongdoing, and canceled my record of debt by paying it for paying for it Himself, by nailing it to the cross, that, nailing that record of debt to the cross, mind you, that record is all of our past and all of our future sin, because God sees our life at once, because He's outside of time. Okay, this is this is all sin for all time. It's on there, on the cross. If we have no record of wrongdoing or debt or sin to our name in God's eyes, then what grounds does man have to pass judgment on us? Furthermore, as verse 15 states, God disarmed the rulers and authorities, which means they have no power to exercise rule or authority at all, which includes judgment of those who are now alive in Christ. The New Living Translation uses verse 16, and again in 18, they use the word condemn. Let no one condemn you. I like thinking about this word condemn because it makes me remember Romans 8.1. Because you've died to the law, through the body of Christ, we get that from chapter 7, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is speaking of condemnation from God himself. Again, if he now has no condemnation for us because he accepts Jesus' payment for our record of debts, then how in the world are we swayed by the condemnation that can come from man? In truth, it can be quite difficult sometimes, can it? Especially if that condemnation comes from particular people within our life. Now, on to the next uh, next point here, with regard to food, drink, festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths. This list indicates that the ones who were attempting to make the Colossian church believe they were missing the important things were likely Jews. And this makes sense. We know that the population of Jews in Turkey, Asia, and Africa grew significantly in this time period. The orange band there represents Jews that have moved into um, Turkey and Asia and Africa in this, in this time period. Here from, you see, 1, that's 1 A.D., By the way, so 500 B.C. to 500 A.D. is the scale here. And there was this ramp. Look at at what's happening here. It's pretty interesting how God works in history. There's this ramp because of the whole Greco-Roman Empire that that did what it did. Jews are just scattering everywhere, right? And so it makes sense that Jews are taking their faith with them, Right? And we also know that a strict and religious observance of fasting, keeping the yearly and monthly festivals along with weekly strict observance of Sabbath are all Jewish things. So, again, these are likely Jews that are coming against the uh, Colossian church here with these condemnations. So now, verse 17, these these abstentions from food and drink and festivals and so on, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So we know also that the culture was Hellenized, that is, very heavily influenced by Greek culture. The concepts of shadows and substance come straight from Plato, student of Socrates. In a nutshell, Plato saw people living in two different worlds, the realm of ideas, which was metaphysical beyond this realm, and it was associated with the light, kind of where where the source of light really was, and where true reality was. And then the realm of the material, which was physical, associated, associated with dimness at best, and was the realm of mere opinion. These two worlds are related in that the things that we can physically sense with our five senses these things that are that are around us that we can sense are just the two-dimensional shadow, uh, at best, of the actually real things in the metaphysical realm that lies just beyond the realm of material things. R.C. Sproul um, is where I learned the most. Reading R.C. Sproul, a book uh, called *The Consequence of Ideas*, is where I learned a lot about this Platonic thought. So I recommend this to you highly. Um, for now, just know that this idea of shadows and substance is a Greek thing. So we talk about Jewish things, talked about Greek things. I highly recommend this book here. It's, it's point, on point. <laughs> so either way, it's clear that Paul is relating Jewish religious rites, verse 16, to mere shadows of the real things to come. And and of Christ being that actual substance of those real things. And I would suggest that Paul is intimating that Christ is true reality himself, and is from the actually true, real place. I don't think he would make this comparison unless his hearers would connect with this idea, indicating that Greek thought did permeate their culture. I just point out this again to say we've got the Jewish things at play, we've got the Greek things at play. So now verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason beyond, by his sensuous mind. The Greek that is translated here in the SV as disqualify indicates that these people that Paul is talking about are trying to stand as umpires over these believers. Imagine someone with a commanding presence maybe even someone claiming to be a believer themselves and desiring to share their heart with us, began pleading with us to be more disciplined with our bodies, focus more on respecting God's messengers and sharing detailed accounts of visions about God being sad that we are not living holy enough lives. And they were sent to get us back on track. We've not ever experienced that happen. Furthermore, what if he's back with history, tradition, and whole groups of people corroborating all of this? And what if you had just come to faith in Christ, but long ago enough now that the newness and enthusiasm has worn a little, and you've not built enough knowledge yet to be able to quickly determine if someone has a valid argument or not? He is quite authoritative, after all. It all seems quite plausible. Well, I mentioned uh, R.C. Sproul a moment ago. I found some commentary on his uh, ministry website, Ligonier Ministries, on this section of Colossians. He says, Ancient Colossae had its share of those who looked to intermediary beings, such as angels, for help. And some of these people claimed to be Christian, though they attempted to lead the church in Colossae astray. Their strange mixture of Christian teaching, pagan ideas, and Jewish ritual piety also included the worship of angels, as we see in today's passage. Worst of all, these false teachers looked down on those who did not add laws and angel worship to faith in the Savior, being puffed up with pride in their own pious activities. This, of course, is the common condition of those who view God's law as an end in itself, or who follow man-made rules that supposedly prove, Promote true religion. The flesh or fallen nature, preferring to one up others instead of serve them, clings to rules that, when followed, make their adherents look holy on the outside, even as the inside remains corrupt. Instead of promoting true goodness, however, such things only exacerbate sin, strengthening desires that go against the Lord's true will. Instead of following Christ's command for his disciples to love one another, these teachers gloried also in their visions as the mark of true godliness. Along with angel worship and asceticism, such things plainly went against godly thinking, for they denied that Jesus alone is sufficient for true piety. I'll take that opportunity there for a little plug for an upcoming series. Um, later this summer, summer or early fall, we'll be conducting uh, a solo panel, as Chris Pope calls it, Sola means alone, nothing but. Remember the list I had you make at the beginning and to cite the sources of why you think you needed to do what you need to do as a Christian? This series will help us to understand what our sources should be. Christ alone, faith alone, scripture alone, and there's more. Don't miss this upcoming teaching. So now verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. So these who were trying to disqualify, insisting on all this additional stuff added to Jesus, they also are not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. This is a continuation of that thought started in verse 18. The person or people attempting to disqualify the Colossian believers from the race, in addition to insisting on asceticism and angel worship, they are also not holding fast to the head. Of course, Paul is referring to Jesus. Paul is basically saying, I taught you the sufficiency of Christ alone. These guys are obviously not holding fast to Christ. If they were, they wouldn't have any capacity left to hold on to anything else, which they clearly do. Therefore, don't listen to them. Don't let them lead you to doubt what the Holy Spirit has done you. And speaking of the head, remember that the true church is planted and made to grow by the master gardener himself. There is no cause for any lack of confidence or of any regressing faith. So on to verses 20 through 22. 20 through 22. Is that what it says? Yeah. If If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to these things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. In my reading, I found commentators kind of back and forth on whether Paul was addressing heresies (coughs) that were from coming from within the church or from without. I'm persuaded to believe that, for the moment, it was from without. In other words, I don't think that teachers within the Colossian uh, gathering were teaching heresy. In other words, I said that. My eyes do this crazy thing. I don't think the Colossian teachers were teaching heresy. I think they, that there were those in the community, however, Jews primarily, as we talk about, that were around them that were either critical of their behavior or at the very least very persuasive in using strong arguments. I think especially since the new believers worship the Jewish Yahweh. I mean, think about that. I'm claiming to worship Yahweh. Well, who am I? I'm a Gentile newbie nobody, and the Jews going... Thousands of years of history behind me. What are these guys doing? That's that's not how you worship Yahweh. And they had their strange mix of, of traditionalism and you know mixed with scripture, mixed with everything else. You know, mixed with Greek culture. And they they knew what was best. Not the Gentile new believers. They were off their rocker. So just to kind of dig into that. You know, put yourself in that uh, situation a little more, think, think with me on this. The Colossian church was likely a small house church within a city that had significantly waned in size and importance during this time, but was once a crossroads between the east and the west. However, the major trade routes had only shifted slightly to Laodicea and Heropolis, which were only about 10 miles away each. So, though smaller than before, Colossae of Paul's Day was still a cosmopolitan city with different Greek and Jewish cultural and religious elements mingled together. The Oxford Companion to Christian Thought states that around the budding Christian community there were households, clubs, voluntary associations, synagogues, mystery religions, and bands of popular wandering moralists. There is an... There is evidence of a whole subculture of otherworldly individuals and groups, apocalyptic seers and diviners, prophets, magicians, astrologers, popular moralists, philosophers, self-styled pneumatics, which are spiritualists, and ascetics, those who believe salvation comes through self-denial. Now imagine that we were the only church in Harnett County a little house church at that. And it was a good half-day travel to the next church. And by the way, we're only several years years old at the most with no Christian church history, even really as a concept yet. Oh, and no New Testament in your hands either. However, Harnett County life is still fairly bustling with all these much more well-established individuals and groups just described, and all within a Greek context. And to get that Greek context a little, little more back to the Christian uh, companion for thought there from, from the Oxford companion, it states, the Greek language and culture is the springboard and mainframe of reference for communication of new ideologies and for understanding the reality behind those ideologies. In other words, all of these groups are mixed up together like a tossed salad or, you know, at times and maybe more like a melting pot at other times. They all have very deep-seated beliefs about what the world really is and why it's really here and where it really came from and what the purposes of existence are. This is the extremely fertile breeding ground that gives way to the syncretistic potato head-like systems of thought described by Ricky and David the last few weeks. I can only imagine that that would be a very difficult situation as you would interact with others in various ways in that community. To go home at night not questioning. Man, those guys seem yeah, they, they just have it together. I mean, they really are, are convinced. I thought I was convinced, you know. So, am I really seeing this thing right or not? That's that's just where my heart is drawn, you know, by Paul in this letter to, to kind of see where these Colossian believers are. There's no concern of the destiny of their heart. But there is concern over today and over victory in in faith today and over stunting of growth. We don't want that to happen, you know? So, again, we have to go back to the source, right? So, imagine ourselves back in that situation again. I can't exactly just call someone. I can't just turn the TV on or the radio, or jump onto the internet to tap into Christian thought and find reassurance. Of course, I have the Holy Spirit within me. I've got my brothers and sisters, and I'm sure I've got access to the law and prophets as well as letters from brothers in other parts of the region. Still, though, don't read the scripture here in a sterile way, and definitely not in a pompous way. Look again at verse 20. Do you read this verse? If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do you think, yeah, Colossians, come on, get your act together. Maybe you're not really in Christ if you're still submitting to the world's regulations and acting alive to the world. It's real easy to be outside of a story and know everything from your vantage point. Here's the fact that the story is about you. It's about us. This is not really so very different, is it, from our Harnett County of today, of our North Carolina, in our world? I know that at one time or another we've all felt very firm in our faith, while at other times we struggle with whether our conversion really did happen or not. We're questioning the validity of everything because we have so many forces coming against us from without and from within. And that was just yesterday. Here's one of those points where you hear preachers say, this could be a whole sermon or a series of sermons in itself. Man, I get it. My heart is full when I think of the context of my Colossian brother or sister and how I might fare in that same context. I want to dive into a long, meticulous analysis comparing their day and ours. Drawing out the similar pressures to our faith and show how these words from Paul are really what we need to hear at the beginning of our every day to combat those forces. The New Living Translation uh, puts verses 20 through 22 this way, reminding us of our initiation into Jesus. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world, so why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that that deteriorate, deteriorate, you guys know what I'm trying to say, as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Well, since I don't have time for two servants this morning, you may think it's two by the time we finish. Um, suffice it to say that I think this should be read as an encouragement rather than a warning. Paul knows that these new hearts are in the throes of battle day in and day out. That these real human beings that have really been redeemed deal with real weakness Real doubt, real questions. And it is most difficult, I'm sure, when they're very real neighbors, relatives, co workers, community leaders that seem to have airtight systems and arguments and worldviews that seem to bring them peace from the things that rage within all of us evil desires. Now, I don't think the desire to conquer evil within ourselves or to curb our indulgence of the flesh. is really uh, all that special to Christianity. For the most part, I think it's very common for people to realize that the desire to indulge the flesh and respond to all kind of evil impulses from within is something to keep an eye on. All of us have given in and experienced the negative consequences. It's not particularly spiritual to realize that negative consequences can outweigh the pleasure of indulgence. But now imagine that your eyes are open to the fact that it's not merely negative consequences around you that come from giving in to your evil desires. You now know that you have offended the God of all creation who has passed judgment on you and on sin and sentenced sinners to death. You now also know that someone that God himself and Jesus Christ looked at you and said, wait, I'll step in. I'll take his punishment for him. Kill me instead. And you know also that God himself and the Holy Spirit is deposited in you. But you also know that these desires to indulge the in flesh and to do evil in his sight are still inside you. And though there are plenty of ideologies and systems of thought around the Colossians, I'm sure that would allow plenty of opportunity to indulge those desires, I think perhaps the issue Paul is addressing here is on the other side of the spectrum. This struggle between spirit and flesh that's now set up in our hearts as believers, it's a tough one. And there are three paths as I see it to respond to this struggle. One, give in. Indulge the flesh. Now, if this is a pattern with no repentance ever, then you've got a bigger question. Am I a believer? Two, work in your own power to keep from indulging the flesh. Plenty of groups around seem to have systems that if I would just follow would aid me in doing this. Oh, and I want to be free from this struggle. I want to be pleasing to God who hates evil. The problem here is that the systems can be followed. The boxes can be checked. And you can receive accolades from men. Before you know it, you're indulging the flesh. Your pride. Through initially trying to keep from indulging your flesh. See the problem there? This is why Paul says that these human rules and teachings are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh or in conquering evil desires. Or three, you can recognize your inability to conquer the flesh in your own power. You can yield to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and to his word, to which your mind has now been enlightened. And you can allow yourself to be reminded You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Hear it. Walk humbly in it. Return to it often. I would imagine that this letter was not shared simply once and then put in the drawer, but that believers consulted it routinely to regain perspective and strength. It became an important part of the gospel cycle for them and for us, which we review regularly here at Grace. So we're going to review that cycle as we see it in Colossians here. From chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, I just went through and picked out some of the things that Paul is highlighting and saying and and are saying that are, are done for us, that are given to us, and He's calling us to receive them. It's faith that comes from God. It's hope that is generated in us by the Spirit, hoping in our salvation and in our future in Christ. He says, receive the truth of the gospel. Knowledge, strength, endurance, patience, joy, If you go back and review chapter one you'll see all these things in there that list sounds really familiar doesn't it? Uh, Galatians 5 22 fruits of the Spirit he says receive deliverance and qualification via a transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the Sun it's from death to life it's a redemption which is a purchase via the payment of his very life. This is what Paul is saying. Remember and receive this good word. And you know it was received, that it was planted in you by the Master gardener, Garden, because the Holy Spirit confirms it in your heart and mind, and shows forth the fruit associated with Himself, that Christ is God, that He canceled your debt, That he accepts you because he loves you. And like we were talking about at communion, sitting and receiving and then coming forward and responding. Here's this strange kind of dichotomy. It's all about you can't do anything and he has to do it all for you. But then he says respond, right? Believe that it's true. Strangely, this is that mix of passiveness and effort. Only God can open our mind to believing it's true, but then we must agree and take hold of that belief. Then realize. Allow the truth of the gospel to become real in every area of your life by working with all of his might that powerfully works within you. Again, from chapter 1, verse 29 in Colossians. Now, this is not a step that we would prescribe for you, but I think it's a very real step in our faith. Regress. Again, this is not something we set out to do, right? But as we look backwards, we realize that our life is not really that nice, linear trend upward, that we have this kind of growth in our life, right? Because of those Forces working against us. You know, regression is a fact of life. It's very natural and understandable to be a living organism in a less than perfect environment. Plants don't always get the ideal amount of water and nutrients, especially if they're in my house. Um, Crops are destroyed and lost to drought because of pests and disease. As time goes by, perhaps knowledge, or at least confidence in the knowledge, can wane. I asked earlier, why is this? The elemental forces and spirits around us, and the fact that we still have our flesh to contend with, is why. This is where I think Paul is dropping this letter in on the Colossians. My heart wants to believe that they are potentially struggling, struggling with the realities of Low spiritual nutrition, perhaps. A lack of confidence. Heartache from strained relationships with community and family members. I mean, imagine you're out there. You're just pumped up. We're, we, we got our singing on. We got our praying on. We got our scripture on this morning. And we're excited. And you go right out there into that, that world that we were just describing. And you're looked at by someone you respect. And they say, you're off your rock. What are you thinking? Haven't you seen these thousands and upon thousands of years of history and all of this commentary and, and, and these books? What have you got? A traveling, babbling preacher? And this, this spirit? What are you talking about? I worship at the throne of God himself with angels. Shut up. And you're going, y- yeah, maybe there is confusion in your life from the Dru- because the jews have claimed so emphatically that there's a better way and whether paul is addressing a regression that was already occurring or was only potentially occurring this letter is meant to combat what ultimately will happen without continued reminders of the truths of the gospel So there we go back to the beginning of the cycle. Remember and receive. Remember who? God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was dead, buried, and raised, ascended to heaven, and sent the Spirit. Remember who? Remember what? He died for us because He loves us. Remember how? By transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light because of his perfect sacrifice. The the sufficiency of his payment by his blood. And again, why? Because he created us. Because he loves us. And we're his and bear his image. And then respond to it. Make it real in your life. Go back out there to meet the world. Battle the elemental forces. Come back. Battle weary, wounded, to remember. And on she goes, right? Now, can you do it by yourself? This is not a rhetorical question. Can you do it by yourself? No. The church, Christ's body, here and now, is the best place for those who have received the Spirit to live out this gospel cycle. Why is that? It helps us not to be fooled by those plausible arguments and positions and worldviews and criticisms and attempts to ridicule, condemn, disqualify you from this race, and to not fool yourself. This is difficult but it's eased by submitting to biblical teaching and to your brothers and sisters in Christ. The church is where we hear Scripture. Though the Spirit is free to work where and, and how and when He wishes, we see Him working in Scripture to immediately draw believers together. Scripture knows nothing of lone believers. The church is where we hear Scripture, where we receive the reminder that we need to come back from a river From a regressed faith. Of course, Scripture is readily available to individuals in our context today, and we should consult it throughout the week individually, but it wasn't available throughout most of history. Being (coughs) together with other believers around the apostles themselves or around the, the apostles' teachings was the only place refreshing could occur. Remember that many communities throughout history have met together daily or even lived and worked at all times, side-by-side. Side. And also, individual interpretation with no reference for, and respect for the long, arduous, and very costly work performed throughout the ages, and a trust and belief that God would work through the very agent He established in the world, the church, to protect and communicate right thinking about Christ. I say this flies in the face of God Himself. Don't find yourself standing before him on judgment day and realize only then that you have shown contempt for him by thinking you don't need the church. The church is where Jesus is. Don't mishear me. The church is not our Savior. Jesus is. And he is the head of the church. In verse 19 here in chapter 2, Paul indicates that not holding the fast of the head is a bad thing. So holding fast to the head must be a good thing. Now, a little logic here. Calling upon the transitive property of equality. Remember geometry? If holding fast to the head is good, and Jesus is the head, and Jesus' head is located at the helm of the church, then for crying out loud, stay connected to the church. Everybody get that? A equals B equals C, then C equals A. Remember? The church is where we find true discipline. Our teachers consistently remind by publicly proclaiming the word and providing encouragement and counsel. It is the best discipline that we can have. It's where we find encouragement. Our brothers and sisters, as we gather, provide encouragement and counsel as well when we meet with one another. It's where we find perspective. All steps or phases of the gospel cycle are represented here as we gather. Not everyone's in the same place on this cycle. So gathering together is a great place to be reminded that God is at work in our life. So that if we're over here regressing, we see our neighbor just having the joy of, of receiving. And it spurs us on to remember You know, we see someone struggling to respond to make Scripture and and the truth of the gospel real in their life, and we've got the joy of receiving and we can provide encouragement for them, right? It's it's the best place to come together and, and be encouraged to continue the cycle. And it's where we find access to the nourishment that we need to go back to facing the elements. Because we will have to, unless Jesus comes right now. Be nice, would it? Be more than nice. We had an example of being nourished this morning. We shared a communion, which reminds us in a very intimate way of exactly what we have heard from Colossians this morning. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word to the Colossians at Paul's uh, hand. We thank you for putting on Paul's heart to, to uh, yield to you, to overwhelming him with the truth of who you are and the insufficiency of everything that he had attempted to do as a Pharisee to make himself pleasing to you. All he was doing was puffing himself up pridefully. What an example that you would use him to minister to the Colossians and to us to focus on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Letting us know that we are indeed qualified that there is nothing out there that can stand against you nothing that can take us out of your hand. Though we regress, though we falter and fail and fumble, you are the master garden. What you have planted, you will bring to fruition. Thank you for reminding us of that this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we thank you.